Hello everybody, my name is Sheila Ramjurg and I am part of the ERS Monograph Editorial Board as their Early Career Member Representative. I'm currently a pulmonologist in training and I'm working in Manchester region in the UK. We're actually super excited today at the ERS to be recording the first ever podcast of the Monograph and it's in an attempt to make it more accessible to you all. We're incredibly privileged to be joined by two professors who need very little introduction, especially in the plural world. Firstly, Christiane Lawrenson, who is a consultant pulmonologist and head of research of respiratory medicine at Odense University, Denmark, whose specialist interests lie in clinical ultrasound and interventional pulmonology. And Najib Rahman, consultant pulmonologist, who is lead of the Oxford Clinical Trials Unit with a clinical interest in infectious and malignant plural disease. Both are here today to discuss the hotly awaited edition of the ERS monograph on plural disease, which you'll all be glad to hear will be released in March 2020. So to you both, thank you. Thanks very much, Sheila. Yeah, thank you. So briefly, uh, before discussing the plural disease monograph, many of my colleagues and the few Twitter followers that I have were very keen to know a little bit about your career paths and what spurred your interest in plural disease. So Naj, if we may ask you that question first. Yes, of course, pleasure to be here and thanks for arranging the Sheila and to the ERS as well. So I started my career in respiratory medicine in 2003 and my research and clinical interest started in plural pretty much straight away. And that was down to being associated with uh, a guy called Rob Davis, who was the professor here in Oxford and who's practice and research I've in fact inherited. When I came to Oxford, uh, I was looking for some, an area of respiratory to specialise in, and I wanted to do something that was hands-on, where we made a difference to patients, but where there was an active research uh, background, and, and there was a difference. And Rob Davis was my inspiration in this, and had done the MIST-1 trial at the time. And in fact, uh, in my period of training over a year or two, he got me interested in plural interventions of patients, and then and at that point, I then started the trial, which was the, I did in 2005 onwards. And we get to do cool things. We get to help patients. Thank you. I, and I think for me, and remembering as a non-plural specialist, um, it, it's the patients. It's from when I graduated, from when you started, nearly when you started respiratory medicine as such, the change that I've seen through the years has been phenomenal. And it's been teams, members like yourselves who have driven this and have you noticed the the difference certainly more so in the last few years also? Yes, uh, Sheila, I think there's been a huge difference and uh, I think if you wound the clock back 25 years people would say well the pleura is outside the lung we sort of have to deal with this as pulmonologists it's the result of other disease processes so it was something at the bottom of the agenda. Now and especially in the last five years in the UK for example there is a pleura mm. leave that every hospital. I think the requirements, the mandatory and necessary requirements for ultrasound and doing a lot of what we do in plural has meant that this subspeciality has grown. And then uh, I think um, not just me clearly, but many people have contributed to a research agenda such that you now have to practice on the basis of evidence rather mm -hmm. than on the basis of what you think is right. And understanding the conditions is always driven by good quality. No, I think that those are obviously absolutely excellent points. And I think it's an incredibly exciting time for trainees coming through uh, respiratory medicine, particularly, Christiane, in the field of ultrasound. So what drove you to respiratory medicine? 
Uh, also, thank you for inviting me, and I'm also thrilled being here, part of uh, uh, this podcast on the, the exciting monograph uh, on pleural disease. Um, and uh, I think my introduction to pleural disease was uh, through ultrasound rather than uh, through pleural disease itself. Um, my clinical training was in surgery uh, initially, actually, where I started scanning uh, the abdomen using ultrasound, find that very hands-on and also a possibility to interact with the with the patients and so on. And then I continued into internal medicine, general internal medicine, and then intensive care as well. And both patient categories have uh, also many diseases, of course, in the chest, pleural effusion and so on. And where I just found thoracic ultrasound to be very, very uh, clinically helpful. And then I was fortunate enough to persuade uh, the respiratory medicine department here in Odense to allow me to do a PhD in the field of thoracic ultrasound. And that's just continued afterwards. And then once again, being fortunate enough then to end up a position here where I can combine thoracic ultrasound with pleural diseases and, and so on. And of course, the pleuris is ideally placed for, for ultrasound assessment. So of course, I have to be interested in that uh, as well. And as Nas is saying, also from a, a research and clinical perspective, the, the world of pleural diseases is really exploding these years. So it's also both from a, a patient perspective and professional-wise, very, very, very interesting to be a part of what's going on. Oh, totally agree. I'm, I'm actually really excited being a trainee, seeing the change over the years and seeing when I first started, I wasn't able to use an ultrasound machine. And now I would hope I am competent at using it and able to show others, but many pleural physicians um, or specialists with an interest in pleural disease tell me that stethoscopes will be a thing of the past. How do you feel about this statement, Christian? I think personally I have a bit of a problem with that statement because I, I'm not mm -hmm. actually convinced that it will uh, completely remove the stethoscope because of course we can say for pleural effusion and so on it's better than the stethoscope. But we still have some lung diseases, for example, obstructive diseases and so on, which where we can't really use ultrasound uh, apart from uh, ruling out other diseases. So I would say that we can't just put the stethoscope in, in the closet and forget it, but rather we should use ultrasound as an uh, supplementary to the other mm. things that we do, yes. rather than simply just ruling out what's, what's in the old school books and so on. No, 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 definitely, definitely. And I'd just like to thank you again. So thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. And so coming back to the upcoming ERS monograph on pleural disease, Naj, could you please tell us the rationale behind this edition of the monograph? Why is it so timely, do you feel? Yeah, um, it's a great question. And I think one that we should be open and honest about as well. Enthusiasts are always going to write about what they're enthusiastic about. So if you ask me any day, I'll talk about pleural disease. But I think there are reasons above and beyond my and my co-editor's enthusiasm to write this at this time. There has been such a huge explosion, as Christian has mentioned, in the evidence base and the practice. Very timely to sort of reset our expectations and to understand what the state of the art is. In this. Not only that, but the field is really quite prolific or promiscuous, I would say. So it goes all the way from imaging at the bedside, CT imaging, all the way up through interventions, things that one would do acutely, things that one would do with one's hands, to a knowledge of how to follow up patients, the long-term management of mesothelioma, all of this is encompassed within pleural. And within each one of those, there has been often major clinical randomized trials published within the last five or ten years. 
largely be focused on interventional studies that tell us how to manage, for example, fluid infection or malignancies even better. But there's some beautiful work on epidemiology, for example, which is changing our understanding of pneumothorax and fluid infection. And then some wonderful work from Christian's group, for example, on the true use of ultrasound in respiratory failure, which uh, up to five years ago was an unheard of field that had no randomized data. So I think it's timely as a practicing physician to be up to date. And this tells us two things. One, how to practice on the current evidence, but also how exciting the next 10 years is probably going to be. Christian, now this is a, a slightly controversial question. Because I've, I have had the opportunity to read most of the chapters and uh, this is controversial because if you want to remain on good terms <laughs> with your chapter authors, if you only had an hour or so to spare, which chapters do you feel you would concentrate on and why? Yeah, I think the question is unfair because uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's really no chance of getting out of this one. I think from, from my position where I'm in and looking at from a, from a Danish perspective, I think we can look to the UK and be really, really envious on what's going over there and that's primarily from an organizational point of view so if i should pick out one chapter that i personally find this interesting is the chapter describing on the specialist plural service when why and mm. who mm-hmm. and, and, and the reason is because in denmark i'm quite sure that we can find some uh, dedicated uh, respiratory physicians which know their stuff about the more advanced plural diseases and and so on and the vast majority of uh, respiratory physicians will know the basics but the problem is that we have no really good organizational structure. So if, for example, if you're in a non-university hospital, the question is then uh, when should you send this patient for a dedicated plural center, which we currently don't have. So definitely in Denmark, the, the, the state that the plural disease is currently is in is that, that we need to have an organization which is which will be able to help both patients coming in here at the university hospitals, but also patients coming in with a plural disease at the at the smaller hospitals. So uh, so that's is from a, an organizational point of view that I find really, really interesting, of course, because since then we'll be able to help the most patients here in Denmark. Thank you. And I think that slightly touches on Naja's response in terms of the this monograph being so timely in terms of setting up the plural service and perhaps accountability in terms of um, setting up a plural service, Naja. Would you agree with that statement or would you feel that slightly a controversial statement or question to ask as such? Um, no, I don't think it's a controversial, it's an unfair question to Christian to ask him to name his favourite chapter. And <laughs> that was I'm, true. And, and I'm definitely not going to answer that question directly, <laughs> so Christian's been braver than me. Now, having said that, uh, I agree with Christian that actually how we organise plural services going forward is a thing for all of us in this area. And that's because to Christian's point, it doesn't matter how skilled I am or you are or he is. Mm. What matters is what happens to the patient in the front door with a plural problem. And unless we are committed to being there 24 hours a day as individuals, we're not. We have to have systems in place that allow that best evidence to be applied at the front door in a real life fashion. So it's all well and good having an expert sitting somewhere, but our job is to organize plural services a good way. And uh, I um, very much appreciate Christian's comment. Uh, about the organization of the UK. We've still got us some way to go, though. So provision of safe ultrasound practice 24 hours a day in every hospital in the UK, that's our vision, allied to plural services that know the latest data and fundamentally, then, are providing the patients with the best quality. And with that, I just wondered, in the UK, I believe that 
working with the British Thoracic Society is something coming into play soon to help with that? Um, yes, so um, the BCS uh, have been brilliantly supportive of this entire move towards specialist rural services and uh, the BCS are just about to release their ultrasound training document, uh, which in fact does specify levels of operation, levels of practice, all the way from super expert, which would be somebody like Christian, who does research in this area, all the way down to someone who just needs to be able to say to the chest training. And that's exactly the sort of pragmatic thing that we need in order to achieve safe plural service. In parallel to that, and this is not directly to do with the BCS, but a group of us have written a position statement thinking about levels of plural service in the UK, such mm -hmm. that we would, we would suggest that every region should have access to a single tertiary plural centre that does the full range of plural disease, thoracoscopy, PET CT, can handle you know, non-specific pleuritis, all of that, all the way to a hospital that just can deal with pneumothorax, for example. It's exciting times, it's good times. So moving away ever so slightly, uh, I was noticing on the ERS website in March of this year, uh, your assembly is delivering an online course called Calendar Sheets in Malignant Pleural Disease. Are you able to tell us a little bit, uh, a little bit more about this? Yes, of course. Um, so the purpose behind this is so that we can try to promote education and training in pleural disease. And the idea is that we're targeting our normal people for the ERS, so pneumonologists, oncologists, etc., with just one-hour little bite-sized courses with illustrative cases. The purpose behind it is to give people a little look into things that they may not get in their normal practice. So uh, that would address the latest evidence, for example, in management of malignant pleural effusion. But then asbestos-related pleural disease, not everyone has a lot of asbestos and yet needs to understand how the pleura can manifest asbestos-related damage. Benign pleural tumours, for example, fibromas, we've got seven or eight, I think, areas that we're going to cover over an hour each. Uh, and the idea is that you can dip in, get a little taster, and come back out. Fantastic. I must say, um, you both have given us much to consider, so thank you both. My pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure as well. I cannot stress enough to the listeners, especially, again, I reiterate, I'm a non-pleural specialist, but... I have thoroughly enjoyed the chapters that I have been privy to and I've taken a lot away from this and I find that the pleural disease monograph is particularly important, is a particularly important read I should say, especially given its relevance to our daily clinical practice. So thank you again. I'm afraid this brings us to the end of the podcast. I'm so grateful to you both again for your time and I hope the listeners enjoy this as much as I have. This was Sheila Ramjig interviewing Christian Lawrenson and Najib Rahman about the upcoming ERS monograph on pleural disease, available in March 2020. Thank you again for listening.